0: underway. There's uh, different ministries going on throughout the building and so if you're unfamiliar with our format, what we're doing on Sunday nights Calvary Clubs is for the elementary age in preschool. They're already meeting down that direction. The teens are already meeting in the basement and so they got their ministries going. And we're going to do a Bible study in here this evening but first of all I want to take care of a little bit of business and explain something. We're recording it so that the rest of the congregation who is in variety of ministries they can access and get the information as well. Um, And uh, then that way we'll just keep on doing our service here. We'll sing after I take care of this, sing a couple of two or three songs. Then we're going to get into Bible study. Um, Somebody asked, they said, what happened to Pastor Art? I said, well, what do you mean? They said, the notes look so much different. They're only a half page. He's not preaching this evening. He's under the weather. And so those notes are what I'm going to do. What I'm, In fact, what I'm going to do is what I have prepared for this Wednesday in our parable Bible studies. And for some of you who don't get there, you'll get an idea of what we do on Wednesdays, and we'll do that study in just a few moments. Um, two things as far as business. One was the motion that went up this morning that many of you voted on, took care of. That's a unanimous that we would take out of our our regular savings accounts, and what we have there, we're going to put $150,000 into the idea of investing in missions. And so the deacons are going to now, with that approval, start looking for those missions ministries that we can use some of the money that is in our bank account, which is right around $653,000. We want to just get some of that already moving. There's another motion that the men met this week, and I had mentioned it in the uh, quarterly report. We had referred to it here from the pulpit on a couple occasions, and uh, let me read the motion. You can then get past the fainting spell, and I'll explain some things. The deacons are requesting permission to spend up to a maximum of 120000 for the purchase of newer used vehicles that would transport 15 or more people, as well as they'd like permission to be able to trade or sell the older of the two vans we currently own. Let me give an explanation and uh, then if the deacons want to add anything uh, they can and then what we'll do is we'll take questions throughout the week next weekend. We'll let you submit questions. We'll do more talking about it next Sunday night. Uh, Here's the story and how we came to this point. Several months ago we sought permission to dispose of the used bus that we had since it would no longer pass inspection due to its age and rusting. Do you remember that scenario? The bus was not going to pass inspection. Somebody said we could have hung on to it to fill the sinkhole, but uh, we ended up getting rid of it for just pittance. You gave permission as well to spend up to 35000 This was the motion in May. You gave permission to spend up to 35000 to purchase a different vehicle so we could haul a good number of people at any one time for teen ministries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Our goal was to find a vehicle that was dependable and would provide us opportunity to use in ministry with the teens as well as with our seniors. We had in mind, looking for something not as large as a full-size bus but would allow us to take our folk on outings in comfort. That is a vehicle that would be easier for our seniors in particular to get in and out of than the 15 passenger standard vans that we are currently operating by. If you're unfamiliar, those are the vans that sit over on that side of the lot. In order to get in, you have to go over the wheel well, seat belts, and it is difficult to get in, plus their lower size ceilings in those things. In our research, we found that such vehicles in good shape and with decent mileage are not cheap or easy to find, and we're talking now about a larger vehicle, higher roofed vehicle. Our men have checked out multiple sites and vehicles, but not have found anything they are comfortable with buying in the range of $35,000 allocated. During the process we also did more research into the requirements for drivers. Any mid-size bus requires special training and licensing now. To meet the license requirements an individual needs to go through a number of hours of training plus testing. These licensing requirements apply to any vehicle carrying over 16 passengers which means a larger vehicle would definitely limit us in the driver's and uh, ministry use as we only have two individuals within the church that have the ability and the license required to drive one of those bus-type vehicles. This summer we were able to borrow a larger bus for the one time a year that we do use it, and that's during teen camp. We think we'll be able to repeat that practice of borrowing it for a camp in the future. Therefore, that turned us towards looking into transit vans. Do you know what I mean by that? Used in public use, they're like a 15 passenger van, higher roofed. Okay, that, um, that has a, like a center type aisle uh, which are roomier and they have some type of center aisle making it much easier to get in and out of. Our thought was and is that if we sought for a couple of those and kept just one of our current vans we would have the capacity to transport up to 45 people at any one time with the vehicles that don't require additional training, licensing or uh, those type of restrictions and gives us the ability to have multiple people available to drive. As well, we fully anticipate that with such transit vehicles, we will readily use them far more than what we do our current vans, since transit vans would be easier for the teens and adult usage and travel. We would like to use such vehicles on missions trips, multiple adult trips, things like the Creation Museum. The last time we did that with the seniors, they had to use my personal van and another vehicle, and it very limits the number of people who can go. As such, we foresee using these type of transit vehicles far more than the type of van we have purchased in the past. To date, we have learned that such transit vehicles are becoming very hard to find due to the current mess in the automobile industry. When deals on transit vehicles with lower mileage come up, they go extremely fast. As well, used transit vans in good shape are actually increasing in value even if they've been used for several years. We have heard of multiple cases where those in excellent condition are now selling for more than brand new vans uh, at this time because the demand to get those transit vans is exceeding the amount of transit vans available. So the price is increasing. And with new vehicles, have any of you try to order a new vehicle? Yes? You can't do it. There's months of delay to get a new vehicle. Therefore, we're asking your permission to have monies available that would allow us to make a purchase of either two used or new transit vans or one transit van and a minibus, whichever, wherever we can find a good deal that would work in those areas. We are not pressed to make such a purchase immediately, but we have lost some good opportunities because of the funds allocated to date have not been sufficient to close a deal. Having the funds available would allow the deacons the liberty to bargain much better having cash on hand. Yes, no, does that make sense? Okay. The deacons do not hope to or plan on spending the full amount of allocation that we're talking about, the 120, but they are basing the figures of that 120 upon the current top prices of what two brand new transit vans would cost if we were to make a purchase that direction. If approved, the men will continue their aggressive search to find the best deal. If not approved, we'll have to rethink our entire ministry in regards to what we are hoping to do with the teens and the seniors, et etc., and scale back accordingly in the, da- accordingly in the days ahead. If you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, the deacons are going to be available to answer those afterwards or feel free to contact them. Or if you'd like, submit your comments, your questions. And what we'll do is next Sunday, we'll try to address it a little bit more and uh, discuss it a little bit more. Uh, We will vote in two weeks. We're going to vote on a Sunday morning. You understand Sunday mornings are not the convenient time for us to do a lot of questions and answers because of visitors and things. So if you have those type of questions about what we're talking about, please see the deacons. Uh, If you come and ask me, I'm going to direct you to the deacons on this one. And as well, uh, we'll try to answer your questions next Sunday night. So feel free to write, put them in writing, uh, send an email, whatever, and we'll discuss it a little bit more. Bob? Not at all, so we'll, we'll delay it two weeks. Let's just put it back, three, we'll vote in three weeks then. Thank you. I forgot about that. Any other, Danny, any other thing from the research that you found, Bob? Anything else that we want to add at this point? No, it's just uh, the, the sticker price is uh, even used vehicles. The asking price is several thousand dollars over the original sticker price right now. Um, so it's difficult to find. You know, we found some, but they're at a very premium price right now. So we're we're researching and, you know, looking forward to finding solutions that will fit our ministry. Yeah. And again, we know that it's a large amount of money. What we're asking, and, and if you have anything as well, Mark, feel free, what we're asking is that we have the ability to be able to work with funds and not have to come back to you in two months and say, we found a deal, oh, we lost the deal. Okay so we're just we're asking for more than what we think we're going to spend but it gives us the liberty to be able to do something okay Let's take our Bibles. Let's head over to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, as we do, I mentioned already, and if you weren't here when I got started at the very beginning, Pastor is 6, so I'm doing uh, the Bible study this evening. And on Wednesdays, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed doing the Bible studies the way we have shifted them on Wednesdays, where we sit in a room on that side of the building, we're round tables, and do a lot more discussion. I'm anticipating that that's what I want to do this evening without the tables, but to try to get you to help me go through this text. As we're going through the text this evening, we're in Luke chapter 6, and it is one of the parables. We're going to discuss it. You're going to give me feedback as we go through. Now, in this text, he's talking to people who he's assuming they know a lot of Bible. Okay, so let's see if we know a lot of Bible. There's a quiz that I got off of the internet that says Bible, funny Bible trivia and it says that the majority of people that take this test, as you can see only 50% of people with good Bible knowledge seem to pass this quiz. So I was very curious if I would pass. Okay? Now I'm curious to know if you would pass. So I'm going to give you ten questions that they did on this thing. There are multiple uh, answers given. I call it multiple guess. Okay? Um, but you, others, teachers who are professional would call it multiple choice. Um, and so rather than you pipe up, give about five six seconds for others to think this through okay? And let's see how you would do if you are one of that upper echelon of Christians that uh, knows a lot more Bible. How many books are there in the Bible? 27, 66, 39, 72. Hang on before you pipe up the answers. Let others think this through. The correct answer now that you've thought it through is what? Okay, okay. In the Old Testament, I'm sorry, did I say Bible? Okay, you have to read what's up there. Now, don't listen to me. Don't listen to me. Okay, the Old Testament, 39. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Which of the following was forbidden in the Old Testament for the Jews to ever eat? Don't say pork. It's uh, the hogs. It's not up here. The, okay, we're going by these answers that are your multiple guess. Which one is it? Not all of them, okay. Do you know which ones it is out of this thing? Well, what, would you, what, what was your answer that you would have put down? Okay, it's the rabbit. Okay, Let's do this one. Which two men never died? Paul and Noah, Enoch, Elijah, Samson and Moses, Methuselah and Elisha. Think it through. Get an idea of an answer. What would have been your answer? Oh, you guys are so smart, see? Okay, God <laughs> promised the Israelites a land flowing with... Honey and wine, honey and nectar, milk and wine, milk and honey. You're thinking it through, giving somebody else an opportunity who may not be as familiar. What's the answer? (laughs) Yeah, very good. About how many men did Jesus feed with five pieces of bread, two fish? 550, 500, 5,000. You're thinking it through, giving others an opportunity, and your answer is? Got it, got it, very good. Who was the first hunter? mentioned in the Bible? Cain, Nimrod, Esau, or Samson? Thinking it through. What's your answer? Okay. What'd you say, Lou? Nimrod Nimrod is the right answer. Okay, a little bit tougher on that one. What is the longest book of the Bible? Acts, Proverbs, Psalms, Exodus. This one most of you got. It's Psalms. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Here's one for you. What day of creation did God make people, the humans? First, third, fourth, or sixth? Thinking about it, what would you have put down? Okay, very good. Very good. Here you go. Who is the first Christian to be stoned to death for his faith? Paul, James, Matthew, or Stephen. You're thinking probably in the New Testament, the book of Acts. Your conclusion is it is Stephen, you're right, you're right. What did God create on day number two? The sky, the seas, the land, or the stars? Which one? That's what I did too. <laughs> I sat and looked at this one, a couple of those I sat and looked. It's going to be the sky is the, you know, in, in the divine. So what would you get? What percentage did you get out of ten of them? Did you get, did you get all ten? yeah 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 okay I'm not telling you at all what I got okay (laughs) so I'm going to do another question for you okay this one we're going to head into the parables okay and in the parables let's start off with a good question okay We're, we're talking this evening about one of the parables we need to stop for a second and say okay what is a parable how would you define a parable They show up a lot in the New Testament, so we've got to understand what it is. What's the parable? An earthly story with what? With a heavenly meaning? That's a really good definition. That's a simplistic definition, but it's one that we can relate to okay? Parable, the word, just, just so you understand, it was a very common device used in the New Testament, not just by Jesus, but by others as well, teachers. It's a combination, the word is literally two words put together that we've demonstrated up here on the screen, that you're throwing something next to in order to make a comparison and as I mentioned, it, it frequently shows up. Jesus does a lot of these in the New Testament, some 35 of those stories. And what's different about a parable than other illustrations, other allegories? Um, For instance, um, uh, Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory. And you're taking situations in the Christian life and you're making allegories with the castles and and the, uh, the pond of despair and different things. That's different than a parable. Um, sometimes what we, when we read kids stories, animals have the ability to talk. Okay, They, they can do those things. Parables don't do that. Parables are taking real life situations that you experience. They could take situations of your farmer and you're sowing seed. They could take situations about building houses, real life situations. And then from that real life situation they make an analogy. They make a comparison, comparing something in real life to real life spiritual ex- truths or experiences. So the idea is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. is very important as we go and study them. Now here's the challenge. How do you make sure you interpret the parable correctly? How do we know we do it correctly? Jesus did this an awful lot. He taught this way. How do you, where do you start with interpreting parables? Okay? Well, that can be that can be good, and it can be very dangerous. Okay? The danger in that one would be, what if you have somebody who has twisted thinking about God? Okay? But for somebody with, like, your Bible knowledge, you know, where you're at, yeah, you're going to end up with a real good thought. You're going to end up with good conclusions. Okay? Anybody want to Okay, okay, let's pick your second thought there, Bob. Bob said that sometimes Jesus, he he explained the parable. Do you remember any times that Jesus did that? Do you remember any of the parables that he explained? Okay. Okay, the sower and the seed, the four different types of soil. How do we know that the seed was the word of God? Jesus told us. How do we know that, that one of the soils is real receptive and one of it is like, you know, the, the road you drive on? Jesus told us. Jesus told us. He, he gave us explanation. That's the easy way to interpret. Okay? Look what Jesus said. Now, what if Jesus didn't explain it? Then what do we do? Then where do we go? Okay? Then we have to do this. We have to do a little bit more research. We've got to do a little bit more understanding of it. What in any time you do Bible study? You already alluded to it. You, you gave double answer here, okay? What do you, at any time you're doing Bible study, what must you always look at? Context. You always look at the context. You always look closely to find out, okay, what's going on at the time that it's given? What's going in the circumstances around it? Now, in a parable, some of the context would include what other types of things? Let me, let me give you an illustration. Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, And we all get challenged by the Good Samaritan. But the real, the real message is clearly revealed when you stop and think, who was he talking to? Do you remember that one? Who is that parable told to? Some of you are saying it. The Pharisees. The Pharisees. Man, that gives you a clear understanding of it. So sometimes we not only look at context, we have to look at who it was talking to. Okay, sometimes we have to look at the cultures. If he's using a real life situation, we got to know what they did in those days. Okay, Um, we just did the parable here a couple weeks ago. I called it the parable of the brats when we were talking about it. And it's the parable where the kids are in the marketplace, and he says, he says kids are in the marketplace, and they're piping, and they're dancing, and they're saying to others, and others say, we don't want to pipe and dance with you. And they say, well, should we do something more negative? We don't want to do something more negative. He's using real life situations of how kids played together and we would have to understand that to get the conclusion. We would have to understand such, uh, some things um, uh, about the culture of the day. Like somebody coming, knocking in the middle of the night. Makes no sense to us because if you needed something in the middle, pre-COVID, if you needed something in the middle of the night, what would you do if you needed food in the middle of the night? what would you do? Okay, you could go to 7-Eleven or you could order it, okay? Well, not in Bible days, and we have to understand that. Bible days is a little bit different. So culture, and then you always look for, is there a main thought? Jesus gives a main thought when he's using the parable of, uh, oh, uh, the one I just see, uh, oh, let's pick this one. There's a woman who needs some legal help. She goes to the judge and the judge doesn't listen to her. Until what? She's persistent. She nags him. Okay? And you have to look at what was the context of that story? Is that story saying God doesn't want to answer prayers? No, 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 no. All all the context was, and what he started off saying, that men ought always to pray and not that 's that 's his concept, so the story backs that up, so you you can get it you 'll do well with it, but let 's do this one let 's do the wise builder okay now what we 're in is we have to figure out okay what 's the context what 's going on this one i 'll give you a little bit more information because just because I had the opportunity to look at it before you did this evening. In the story of Luke chapter 6, when Jesus all of a sudden is teaching and and, uh, giving a lesson, we're going to look at the very last few verses, but we have to understand what went before. The last few verses, Jesus says this of Luke 6. He said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever comes to me, hears my sayings, does them. I will liken you to him who is this He is like a man which built a house, dig deep, laid the foundation on a rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that hears and does not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately, what happened to the house? It fell down. Okay. And the ruin of that house was great. When did he speak this? And what was going on? So we have to get a broad spectrum. Jesus is in the first 18 months of his ministry. In the first 18 months of his ministry, he didn't do a whole lot. He was there, but he didn't do a whole lot around Jerusalem and Judea Do you remember what area he based most of his teaching and spent most of his teaching time. Galilee, thank you. He was up in Galilee most of the time. He did go down south for the feast days, but most of the time he was in Galilee. And in Galilee, these people that are up there, most of the people in Galilee, what did they do for incomes? Okay, fishing, farming. Okay, it was more of an agrarian culture. The southern area was more buying and selling and merchandising. So he's up there and he's preaching during that time period. And while he's preaching, okay, there are people that come from Jerusalem because it was required It was required that the Sanhedrin that operated the the people in charge of the Jewish nation, their Supreme Court, their Senate, whatever you want to call them, the Sanhedrin had a rule. If somebody is coming along and they're becoming a popular preacher, we're going to send people out to investigate, to vet them. And so a lot of the times while Jesus was preaching, he was being followed by a group of Pharisees. Those Pharisees weren't necessarily local yokels. They were from, sent to, because from Jerusalem. And they were to be examining Jesus, questioning Jesus, and they would report back to the Sanhedrin and get information. So what's happening, Jesus is in his early part of preaching. This is in the first few months, his first tour around Galilee. He is being followed by a number of Pharisees who are going to check on him, test him throw questions, and try to find out what he's thinking, what he's doing. And when he's ministering, those guys are watching him like hawks, and they don't like some of the things he does. Go back to the first part of chapter 6. In the very first few verses of chapter 6, they have a conflict with Jesus. If you look back there, something happened that they didn't like. Jesus and his disciples, they're moving along, they're going through the territory, and what do you have in the first few verses of chapter 6. Okay, yeah, the disciples are walking along and they're hungry. It's the Sabbath day. If you're hungry on Sabbath day, you tell your kids you've got to wait until Sunday. You can't eat today. Right? You don't do that? What do you do if your kids are hungry on you feed them. So what do the disciples do? Yeah, they're walking along and they're, they're going to pluck some of the grain and they're going to start eating. But by Jewish law you weren't, why not? Yeah, it's the Sabbath day. And by plucking the grain, what are you doing? Yeah, you're farming. And you and I say, really? Yeah, according to their rules. okay. And so the conflicts, if you go a little bit further in the chapter, there's another conflict. Go down to like verse 7 and following. What happens there? Okay, what does he do? What does your Bible say? He healed a man whose right hand was withered. In other words, what was Jesus doing? He was working by practicing medicines, okay? And you can't do that. So they get after him and they've got all these conflicts going and so he heals and that's the setting. That is what, what's happening. Some of the people around him are highly critical. They're asking and challenging in everything. Good thing we don't have people like that around here, okay? We don't have people in our society that are looking and watching you like hawks, right? Yeah. And so then what what else does, in the first part of the chapter, what else is another major event? Okay, he has conflicts with the Pharisees. What major event does he do for ministry, future ministry? You're looking down, you're seeing in the paragraphs. What's that? Okay, he's going to pick the twelve. He's going to pick the 12. And we read about that and we look and we say okay starting with verse 12 and following he's picking his 12 who basically that means from here on I'm going to start training them for the day that I'm going to depart Jesus in his mind. So he's training disciples. He's dealing with conflicts that are taking place. That's all the setting. But if you look at verse 17 people are following. Other people are following him. Not just the Pharisees. Large crowds are following him. Why? Why? What attracted the people, according to verse seventeen? Okay, Um, did I give you the right verse? Yeah, yeah, the end of verse seventeen. They're coming to hear him, and yeah, okay. So they they want all that taking place. Actually, most of them are coming more for the miracles than the message. Now, you know that because you're, you're, you're more adept with this story than the first time exposed to it. And this is when Jesus, at this point, he preaches what we know as, this section is called the Sermon on the Plain. There is another famous sermon very similar to this. The what? The Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember where you find that one recorded? It's in the New Testament, yes. Okay, do you remember which book? Matthew, Matthew chapters... 5, 6, and 7. Are they the same sermon? If you look at it, and I, I don't have a complete answer. I don't have a definitive answer. But when you look at the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount, very clearly the one says he spoke on a mount. The other disciple, the author, says he spoke on a plain. So they talk about two different areas. There's the possibility, though, that there's a similarity because the content is very similar. The circumstances that we just explained, extremely similar. The crowds that are there are very similar. There's the critics, there's those who are following for the miracles. The circumstances that we just meant, mentioned, the healings that take place, the place is different. And so it's, the conclusion is, is this the same sermon, but one is an abbreviated version and one is a lengthier version? That's a possibility. Could it be that Jesus preached the same message at two different times. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that isn't a far stretch. Okay, so it could be that's, that he's repeated the sermon or even portions of the sermon, or it could be this. He started the sermon on the plane, and as the crowd and as he was teaching, they ended up moving up through the day, and he was preaching this as an, you think I preach long. Okay, this could be an all day type sermon that he was preaching. That's a possibility. I don't know the conclusion, the answer. I'm not sure it really makes that much difference in our thought. But just for your information, those two are parallel. Either they're the same thing, preached twice, or it's, it's the same thing. Your, the question that you have to answer here is the crowd. You got the context. Now, who's the crowd? I've given you, I've given you the passages that tell you who it is. Who's the crowd? Verse 17, who's the crowd? Okay. Did I give you a wrong ver- reference? Okay. A great multitude out of Judea and Jerusalem. Okay. So you got a huge group. Judea and Jerusalem. You also have people from where? What do you know about Tyre and Sidon? Okay. They're more of a Gentile oriented communities. Jerusalem and Judea would be what, what nationality for the most part? Okay, they're going to be the Jewish people. The Tyre and Sidon, there's going to be a mixture. So in this preaching that he's going to do, he's going to have a mixture of all different types of ethnic religious backgrounds. Okay, That's why, by the way, some people think that this is a different sermon because very little Old Testament reference happens in, this, in Luke 6 Most of it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, huge amount of Old Testament quoting. So some think, well, this is probably a a different, different setting because of some of the crowd. That's a possibility. Verse 20 gives you another description of who's there. Disciples. When you are reading in the New Testament disciples, what typically comes to your mind? Who do you think of? You think of the twelve, okay? Yeah, that a lot of us think it's the twelve. Are there references in the New Testament where the disciples includes more than the twelve? Yeah, frequently. Okay. When you read disciples, do you assume it means they're all born again? I did too, for years and years. I, I just thought that was the case. They were they were loyal followers. And yet the term could be used very, very generically. People who were following him. Crowds who were interested in him. Today, we we have a term that we do this all the time with. Christian. Right? Okay. Does Christian mean at times born again, believes the Bible, sold out to Christ? Yes? Does other times in America, does Christian mean real broad. okay. Disciples has that same thing at times. okay. And so when we look at this text we say okay there's people who are interested in following Jesus, uh, disciples but they come from all different areas. They're all different backgrounds. And so Jesus is talking to this group and he's going to use a story at the very end. Now let's, let's put ourselves in the sandal of those, those people. He talks about building a house. Why would that kind of really relate to us if we were living back then compared to us living today? Of you going out, digging a foundation, and building a house. Who, today? They did, they did. You, you, you're the bad, you're the wrong one to ask about building your house. Okay, okay. Some of you are like pooch. You, you built your house. The, more, the normal ones of us here Okay, no, so that, that was the wrong way. That came out wrong, Booch. sorry. Okay, okay. the majority of us here, what did you do in building your house? What's that? You bought, it. you bought it, okay. Yeah, we didn't do the building. The majority of us, we had the, you know, we got the money from the bank and somebody else did the building. Am I, am I right? You did build most of your house, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Why would you even ask that, Wayne? okay. <laughs> Okay, so you're talking about people that in that culture, they would know about building. You know what I know about building? Nothing. Okay, But they would know. They would understand this. Because they would build their own homes that they're going to live in. So they would have common knowledge about certain procedures. They would have common knowledge. Some of us don't have enough sense. Okay? We just say, oh, that's a pretty spot. Let's get the builder to build the house. Okay, they would have more sense if they were the builder to find out if there's a sinkhole underneath. Okay, that would be very important in Lebanon County, yes? Okay, so the, those people would have, they would have a far greater ability. And did they know that there was natural disasters that occurred? Okay, I, it may be a shock to some people, but global, I mean, uh, natural disasters occurred before global warming. Okay. The people did have flooding back in Bible days, yes, okay, it, it occurred so he 's writing to those people, and they would understand the importance of a foundation. It would make ter- perfect sense to them because they 're builders this is, their, this is the thing they do. they were survivors they were they were doing their own thing they were, so they were train. so Jesus is going to be teaching through this story and making making this illustration, and he has a major major lesson, the major lesson when he 's all done preaching. His major lesson as he wraps up is real simple. It's the same thing that we do every week when we give a story. It's the same thing you do as a parent after you take time to lecture and train. What do you tell them after all that time invested in teaching them something? Yeah, you're basically going to say, now do as I yeah, what I just taught you, now do it in other words, Jesus is saying it takes wisdom to build a house you're building your lives, this is your analogy, your house and your life and he's going to be saying basically you need to live by what I've taught you, not just learn Okay, we can get 10 out of 10 on the questions in Bible trivia and we can get good answers, but that doesn't mean we're living wisely, would you agree with that? Some people have head knowledge, but they aren't living it. And Jesus is saying, and so here's where I want to go with this, just these next few minutes, Jesus is going to say in this story, in this, this analogy that he gives, he's going to say, "You need to live wisely. You need to listen and, or live by my teachings for three reasons. They're very simple here. From here on out, it's, it's just so simple. And he's in verse starting with verse 46. Because only then is Jesus really Lord of your life. If Only if you live what I'm saying, Jesus says, do you become Lord of the life. Look at verse 46. Look at, look at how he makes that conclusion. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? By the way, is it a good thing that people call Jesus Lord? Yes, no? Oh, yeah, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. But he says, hey, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then what? Okay. Disciples have a tendency to claim repeatedly, Jesus is Lord. Would you say that's true? I mean, do most people that go to church in America, in Christian churches, do they say Jesus is Lord? They sing the songs. Okay? And he says, That's great, that's wonderful. But I am your Lord only if you do what I say. Uh-oh. Ooh. Ooh. Now, now, now he's meddling. And he says this is for every single one of us. He uses a plural you. Okay, why do you all, not just one or two, you 12, you who are following me. So why do you do that unless you, in your lifestyle, you regularly do what I've told you? What, what a thought, what a thought. And he doesn't do what the Pharisees do. The Pharisees pick and choose the rules that they want to live by. They have picked picked and chosen when it comes to Korban. Do you remember remember the whole thing about Korban? Our money we're going to give to the Lord. This money was money we were going to use to support mom and dad, but we're going to call it Korban. And now that we give it to the Lord, mom and dad can't get it. And so they twisted the rules. They twisted the rules to fit their desires, their pleasures. And Jesus is saying, we can't do that. You and I who claim to be his disciples, we need to follow how many of his teachings? Do you really mean that? By the way, who set this standard? Who said all of us need to live by his rules? Who's speaking in this text? It's Jesus Christ. He has set the standard. And if we're going to walk this thing through, what were some of the commands he just gave? What were some? Here, Back up in the text. You put in your own words, what did Jesus say in verses 22 and 23, the very first part. What would be difficult in that passage for you and me to live by? Summarize verse 22 and 23: A. What's that? I'm sorry, Marilyn forgiving others okay it's definitely in there anybody else you want to you jump in here not repaying evil for evil, not repaying evil, for evil. somebody else rejoice in, tribulations. rejoice in tribulations that is so easy to do when COVID struck none of us were bothered didn't faze us one bit right okay so so you got verse 22 and 23 basically he's talking about when you're hated when you're separated when they cast you out you're supposed to do what count it all yeah right that's not so easy what do you see in verse 27 that's not easy but Jesus said we're supposed to do it if we're his disciples okay love your enemies he didn't say like them Okay? Because like is very emotional. Love is very intentional in action. So he said love them. In other words if they do us wrong we're supposed to do them right. Love your, do good to those that hate. What do you you see in verse 28? What's that? Love them that curse you? Okay. Bless them. Bless them. Thank you. Okay, that he's talking about. What blessed is, is speaking positively or praying for them or, or hoping for something good for them. And then he says to pray for those. I know it's easier in my flesh. I don't mind praying for those who oppose Christianity. And my prayers probably don't fit Jesus' prayers. Okay, because the prayers that I want to pray against those who are anti-Christian are imprecatory prayers. And he doesn't talk about it here. What do you you see in verse 31? What does Jesus ask us to do? That's it? Yeah. Yeah, that is such a loaded passage, right? Do unto others as you would have them he doesn't say, don't do unto others what you don't want them. He says, do the positive. So treat others the way you want to be treated. That's hard. Well, let's go a little bit further. Verses 32 through 35. What's the gist of this, this portion? What does he just ask the disciples to do? Hmm. It's the loving aspect. But taking it from this point of view, which, which people are you supposed to love... Be hospitable towards? Okay, sinners. Okay. It's easy to love and be hospitable to friends, like-minded people, good. Family, what's he doing here? Do it to people who aren't family, who aren't like-minded, that's hard. Let's wrap up with verse 41 and 42. Um, this, one, this one, how would you, you, you know this one real easy. It's about the, the moat and the beam. Okay, Summarize it. Don't judge. don't judge. I'm going to do a whole series on that. Okay, is it, are, are we at times, Tom, is there a time we need to judge? Yes. yes, okay. So the don't judge others is, there's got to be a little bit more to that. Okay, we need to self-examine. Okay, we have to be careful that we aren't judging others when we're doing the same thing. Okay, great, great. So, uh, Tom, I'm going to take your phrase and do it in two phases here. We, We ought not to be hypercritical, and we don't want to be hypocritical. Does that make sense? Hyper and hypocritical. Both of them are there. Now, Jesus has given this. He has said, I'm your Lord. If you do these things, uh, uh, let's expand upon it. Another reason why we need to live, not just learn, is because then we're, we're wise, and only then are we wise in the eyes of Christ. Now, in this parable, he doesn't use the wise man and the foolish man. When did he use those phrases? yeah Matthew right right in the book of Matthew is when he did that but it's very similar you know the similarity okay the wise man built his house upon a rock the foolish man built his house upon the sand okay so you you see the parallel so I'm building upon that parallel that Jesus is giving and he says that people basically are one of two categories okay they're either wise or foolish Who's wise? Us. Who's foolish? Anybody not us. Okay, that's the way we normally think. That's the way I think. Okay, and it's not right. You're either wise or foolish. What do these two groups have in common according to this story? They both they're both building houses or lives. Anything else? I'm sorry. They both have trials and troubles. Anything else? What's that? They both heard, heard, okay? They both come to Jesus and they hear the words of Jesus. Anything else that you see as a similarity? Pardon me? They both call him Lord, okay? Okay. Very good. Excellent stuff. They're both exposed. They're both building. They both have free will to choose. They're experiencing the trials. What is the difference between a wise man? And by the way, let's take this let, look at the wording here. The, who can be a wise person according to the way Jesus said it? In verse 47. Who can be a wise person? Okay. Just one word. One word. Okay. You said anybody. Where, where did you get that out of there? whosoever. Anybody have another word just like that? Okay, everybody. So the idea is anyone can be a wise person. Okay, anyone who comes to Christ, anyone who chooses to hear his teaching. But the key is you have to live by his teachings. The same thing is true on the other side. Anybody can be the foolish person. I want to be careful. I want to say a dummy. But, um, but the idea of foolish, anyone who hears the teachings, but what's the big difference here? They, they don't live by them. They choose not to live by them. Which, by the way, in this big crowd of disciples, the potential is any one of us could fall into the categories, either one of them. It's very challenging when you think about it. And and then you think about what does God promise for the wise? Oh man, now if you were a Jew listening to this you would understand Old Testament concept. You would know that there's multiple passages in the Old Testament that talk about how God will bless the wise. How wisdom is better than money in the bank. And so that's something you and I would say it's something we want, something we crave. But Jesus is pointing out, wait a minute, you have to be doing so. Let's do a, a quiz. Let's do an examination for just a minute here. Are you wise or foolish when it comes to praying for those who've hurt you? Are you wise or foolish when it comes to speaking about others who are contrary to what you believe? Are you wise or foolish when it comes to hypercriticism or hypocritical criticism? Are you wise or foolish when it comes to the idea of charity and hospitality to strangers? Are you wise or foolish when it comes to how you handle your trials, loving your enemies, when it it comes to treating others the way you want to be treated? Are you wise or are you foolish? And he says, you're foolish if you're not doing what I'm saying. You're wise if you do what I'm saying. So we've got two reasons in this text so far why we need to live by the word of Jesus, not just learn it. Our third reason is because only then will you be secure when the storms of life come. Now, take the story. What do you know in this story about storms? They will come. What else? Looking at the the wordage, what else does he? How does he describe storms? They're inevitable. What's that? Okay. we got to be wise about them. D- describe the storms. Give, look at how Jesus described it. They're vi- Where do you get violent? They beat vehemently. Okay. Any other thoughts? What's that? Oh, they're extremely disruptive. Excellent. Anything else? Anything else that you got? Wow. Wow. Excellent. They can be extremely destructive. So we look at this and go, okay, you mentioned it. They will come. They come suddenly. Okay. They're very severe. Oh, by the way, the word vehemently is the word hemorrhage. That gives you an idea that this is bad. Okay. They come repeatedly. They beat over and over. Have you ever had that experience that trials come repeatedly? Or you've just had one in your life? Okay. The idea here is obedience to Christ alone provides security and hope that we don't fall apart. Doesn't that sound like something we heard this morning about having that mind, that peace if our minds are stayed upon Him? And so this whole idea comes down and and I ask you this question. These are pictures of living quarters during a storm. Which one would you want to be in? The tent, the mobile home in the middle of a tornado, or a block house in the middle of a flood? Now most of us would say, I don't want to be in any. Okay. But we would pick the block house, and the key of what he's saying is the foundation has to be on Christ. We, we understand that. We know that. The, but to build a lifestyle on the teachings of Christ, just, just as we look at it, it begins with exposing yourself to Jesus' teachings. It requires great personal effort. You've got to dig deep. Okay, to lay this foundation. It takes greater time and expense on your part than people who aren't following the teachings of Jesus. It requires patience. Building doesn't usually happen right. It takes time. And so obedience is the key in all of this. There was, And I close with this illustration, this story. There was a number of years ago, a long time ago, we're in the 90s, And it was the beginning of the internet that Al Gore made and all those different things that was happening. And in that time, AT&T and Con Ed had an agreement that if all of a sudden there was a surge in the summer because of electricity, uh, because of air conditioning, that AT&T, when there was a surge happening through the system, they would fall back on their own generators that they had. Well, all of a sudden in September 17th, they had an instance where the computers triggered the whole thing. And AT&T's own system had to pick up because there was such a power surge happening. But when their own systems picked up, all of a sudden there was, you know, there was a momentary surge from their equipment that sent a bigger charge through everything, and their system shut down so as not to burn out. So AT&T's, AT&T's own own You know, backup system failed that day. As a result, now we're going a long time ago, as a result, 4.5 million phone lines went dead in the New York region alone. 470,000 internet systems went out. 1,174 flights that were in the air, all of a sudden they didn't know where they were. The airport shut down in several places. By the way, the alarms went off saying, we need, you know, needs to be reset, reset, reset for six hours hours before any AT&T employee got there to take care of it. You know where the AT&T employees were? They were in a one-day conference that AT&T required all their employees to go to on what to do if there's a power surge. (laughs) They didn't need to learn more. They They needed to do it. Sometimes it's, and I'm not diminishing learning, sometimes we just need to stop and say, stop teaching me. I need to just live it. You need to live God's word. I hope you do it this week. Father, help me, help my friends to do what Jesus said, to live his lessons, even the tough ones. Thank you for these folk and their wisdom and their insight. Bless our week as we seek to serve you. Give us a good week when we get together for Bible study and other things that we do. Amen. Thanks so much for your input. Did great.